Hello and welcome to You Heard It Here First, the show that helps you discover the best that Audible has to offer. I'm your host, Imriel Morgan, and I'm here with lots more great audio for you to check out on the Audible website or app. On today's show, I'll be doing my best to avoid any accidental partridge moments as I review his new podcast, and I sharpen up my detective skills with an addictive true crime offering. Then, later in the show, I'll be joined by two guests to talk about their recommendations, including the amazing Mariam Khan, editor of the collection of essays, It's Not About the Burqa. And we hear from you in our latest listeners' corner too. Phew, it's jam-packed, so let's get going. First, it's time to hear this week's featured customer review. As you can imagine, I'm on the Audible website a lot. And for this bit, I have a look through the great reviews that you've left on the books you've loved. This week's review comes from Vivian for a novel set in India called Gym Patrol on the Purple Line by Deepa Anapara. Here's what she thought. A powerful novel giving voice to the children. This was a moving, powerful novel. Through the voices of the children living in the poorest sections of an Indian city, it confronts a horrific reality of the disappearance of children. It was, in places, painful to read, but I felt it was an important novel that deserves a wide readership. Thanks, Vivian. This is apparently one book you won't be able to stop listening to. If you want to give it a try, you can search for Gin Patrol on the Purple Line by Deepa Anapara on Audible now. Up next is our featured new release. This is something brand new that I've been binging and want to share with you. This week, I've been listening to From the Oast House, the Alan Partridge podcast. What can I say about Alan Partridge's From the Oast House? First, this podcast is hilarious and diabolical. Now, I'm sure many of you listening are probably pretty aware of Partridge, and a few might be like me and know of the character, but didn't actually watch the show. Alan Partridge from the Oast House is, as the title suggests, a podcast that follows Alan as he goes about his day-to-day life in Norfolk recording a podcast. From time to time, he interacts with his housekeeper Rosa, his assistant Lynn, and a few neighbours who never fully appear on mic, but instead are a series of barely audible mumbles or shouts. A particularly funny moment occurs when he trespasses into someone's house and decides to piece together the story of their life based on the decor and layout of the home. Naturally, he gets caught and it's bloody hilarious. I can see your feet right back of the car. Oh, all right then, hello. Hi. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm not, I, uh... What are you doing? I, I was just looking at your car in your house and then I panicked. You were looking at my house? I was just peeping, just, I'm not, just a peep, not, not a peeping Tom, just a peeping man. I was just, I was, uh, I was being a bit nosy. I live, I live over these, I'm Alan Partridge, by the way. Yeah, I know you are. Oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, I, I was actually checking, when I was walking past the house on the public footpath, I came past and noticed the door was, uh, ajar. So no, I was just checking, and I thought it was a security risk, but uh, I'll be on my way. Yes, if you would, yeah. Right. Do you, do you, may we ask you a quick, 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 quick question? Uh, are you divorced? Yes. Great, good. Go Go. Yes. Uh, shall I go out the garage door or the, or the rear door? Whichever way you came in. This way. Bye. Thank you. So, sorry about trespassing. Sorry, I trumped. 
should probably turn back, actually. Not that it's a dodgy area, it's not backward or anything, it's uh, actually quite upmarket. Less deliverance, more deliveroo. Gotta do stand-up. He's absolutely unbelievable. Okay, confession time. I got three quarters of the way into the podcast before my partner reminded me that Alan Partridge is a fictional character created by Steve Coogan, which funnily enough changed my whole perception of the show. Suddenly the podcast made more sense and actually for me became slightly less enjoyable. This is probably because a part of me really enjoyed believing in how ludicrous he was as a man. But there are serious Partridge fans out there. In fact, Norwich has even erected a golden statue in his honour. Steve Coogan said he made the decision to tell the podcast entirely from Alan's perspective because it's one of his favourite writing conventions. He says he enjoys making the audience have an educated guess at what's going on. And I have to say, I think it works. It's really very funny. In fact, the podcast makes it a great listen out loud with others and Alan has loads of great one-liners. I can definitely see this being on at a listening party among friends with nibbles or during a quiet brunch. I would say unless you're a hardcore Partridge fan, you'll probably want to space out your listening. And I would say it's best listened to in chapters rather than in one go, which is what I did. There's only so many diatribes you can take in one day. And to be honest, we all know that Alan is a little bit annoying. That said, though, I think you'll find yourself coming back to this. The theme song is a serious earworm. From the Earth House with Alan Partridge. From the Earth House with Alan Partridge. And it's full of other great podcasting jokes like spoof ads and fake recommendations, too. So if you want to dive back into the world of Alan Partridge, search for his new podcast, From the Earth House, on Audible now. Welcome to our hidden gem section of the show. This is where I talk about something great I think you might have missed when scrolling through the Audible store. This week's hidden gem is Evil Has a Name, the untold story of the Golden State Killer, hosted by retired FBI profiler Jim Clementi. This chilling and spine-tingling podcast will have you gripped from start to finish. It's told in 14 parts, following the Golden State Killer, also known as the East Area Rapist, the original Night Stalker, and the Vesalia Ransacker. He terrorised Californians in their homes from 1975 to 1986 before mysteriously ending his killing and rape spree. Now, as with most true crime podcasts and stories, the details are harrowing, stress-inducing, and utterly devastating. I must say this monster is the living embodiment of every woman's worst fears. For that reason, I would recommend you proceed with caution if you've experienced a similar kind of trauma. Plus, there are some pretty graphic descriptions, which is something to bear in mind. The podcast follows forensic criminologist and detective Paul Holes and FBI lawyer Stephen Kramer as they desperately try to find this faceless serial rapist and killer. It's great to get a behind-the-scenes look at how cold cases are solved. The podcast does an excellent job of reinforcing the time and place that this was happening. They stress that you couldn't just dial 911 back then and immediately be connected to the police department, that DNA testing and evidence was virtually unheard of, and the analogue processing of evidence meant that this man was able to roam free because the technology and science wasn't there yet. It's so interesting to see that modern DNA technology can shed new light on a case. 
something the killer didn't have to worry about at the time. What makes this podcast so gripping is hearing the accounts of the victims and their close friends and relatives. It's sensitively produced and the testimonies are clear, stirring and so well told you can't help but empathise with them. Like this one. Jane Carson, the fifth victim of the East Area Rapist, remembers when the case became public. An executive of local media and the CEO of Livermore Laboratories who had a daughter starting college at Sac State, actually went to the sheriff in Sacramento and confronted him. They had heard there was a serial rapist and told him to let the public know. So the sheriff agreed, and, uh, and then he would report future rapes to the media. Had I known that uh, he had broken into homes prior to coming back and assaulting women then I would have had the alarm system on the home immediately. And I would have been aware that, you know, this is what he does. I thought because I had reported the rape, maybe he was going to come back and take revenge. Wow. I was astounded the entire time I listened. I didn't want to press pause, but I was also a little scared to be alone at home. It's fantastically told and has a satisfying ending, which I hope leads to another type of series like this. Interested in learning more about the search for the Golden State Killer? You can find Evil Has a Name on Audible now. And next up on You Heard It Here First, it's time to hear from two guests about a book they've been loving. And I'm delighted to welcome Mariam Khan to the show. Hello, Mariam. Hi, thank you for having me. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? So my name is Mariam Khan. As you said, I'm the author and editor of a collection of essays called It's Not About the Burqa. It's essentially a collection of 17 essays by different Muslim women. I'm a writer and I'm a journalist and um, I'll leave that there. (laughs) Brilliant. Thanks so much. So exciting. I can't wait to hear more about It's Not About the Burqa. Could you tell us about the book that you're recommending for us today? I know that everyone has potentially read this book, and if they haven't, I don't know what's (laughs) wrong with them. But the book that I'm recommending today is Becoming by Michelle Obama, because it's one of those books that I feel like everyone absolutely must read. And when you read it, you just feel like a warm hug Mm. and you feel okay, basically. (laughs) Yes, I completely agree. I read it when it came out and... There is something so soothing and calming about Michelle Obama. What did you love about the book in particular, do you think? I just, the whole book, but like for me, the first chapter when I read it, I read it and I thought, wow, okay. So it kind of takes you on a journey. So if she starts from the very beginning about her home life and how she had an auntie who lived with them downstairs and then how she learned piano with her mm-hmm. and then sort of the book starts then you know how her auntie was very strict about learning the piano and then the book ends on like this I think it's a recital or a performance where she's um having to you know play the piano and she feels so nervous and she's always looked upon her auntie as someone who's very strict and like you know not incredibly supportive but in the moment when she's 
sitting on that stage and having to play that piano and she looks at her auntie and she sort of nods at her and I don't know it's that acknowledgement that small thing for me that was really profound because I think throughout my life there's been moments or people that I've thought have pushed me really hard and then to come back and look at how much of a difference those people made in their small nudges or big nudges was incredibly interesting and it was it was a good way for me to reflect on my own life and the people that maybe a tiny a tiny bit resented as well just like she did with her family as well so yeah yeah I know exactly the moment you're talking about let's hear a clip of that Now suddenly, I was aware of people watching me from their chairs as I stared hard at the high gloss of the piano keys, finding nothing there but sameness. I had no clue where to place my hands. With a tight throat and chugging heart, I looked out to the audience, trying not to telegraph my panic, searching for the safe harbor of my mother's face. Instead, I spotted a figure rising from the front row and slowly levitating in my direction. It was Robbie. We had brawled plenty by then, to the point where I viewed her a little bit like an enemy. But here, in my moment of comeuppance, she arrived at my shoulder, almost like an angel. Maybe she understood my shock. Maybe she knew the disparities of the world had just quietly shown themselves to me for the first time. It's possible she needed simply to hurry things up. Either way, without a word, Robbie gently laid one finger on middle C so that I would know where to start. Then turning back with the smallest smile of encouragement, she left me to play my song. That moment is so profound. As you were describing it, I remembered that clip in particular because it was such a huge moment for her and I felt every feeling she was feeling, all of that nervousness, that anxiety and the fear. Yeah. Did you experience that as well? Very much so. Like I know it's her life and I know that like I'm obviously not a black woman, I'm a Muslim woman, but like as someone who has experienced some of the things that she has it was her storytelling is like being held by the hand and then quite gently being told life is really hard but like I've got through it and these are the things that I've got through and like you're never going to be at the end of it because it just continues going and going and going and so it feels like like I said a warm hug but also like you're learning it's this really graceful wonderful warm way of painting a picture her words are like Mm. painting a picture that's what the first chapter for me is her painting a picture it's not just the words and it wasn't just the feeling either it was that I could imagine that entire thing does that make sense yeah no I, I really love that thank you so much for sharing I feel like this is a really great segue to go into you know it's not about the burqa and your latest work like I'm not a Muslim woman but I have Muslim women friends who have experienced tremendous amounts of difficulties and challenges just existing in this world. What was that like to put that together? What was it like to edit these essays and, you know, pull out those vulnerable moments with the contributors? So putting together this book was a journey. I didn't actually want to write a nonfiction first. I wanted to write a fiction first. So this came completely out of the blue for me. And I remember it came out of a conversation, actually. I don't know if you know Nikesh Shukla, who is the editor 
our mm-hmm. the good immigrant and he's a good friend of mine and I remember saying to him if I could put a book together this is what it would look like and he was like why aren't you putting this book together basically and it's kind of those little nudges from people and that for me that's a huge like that moment and that story with him was a huge push for me and then in terms of like the vulnerability of putting this book together I was quite aware of having worked in publishing the ways in which either Muslim women were not present in the way that I wanted the sort of Muslim identity to be present in a book or when they were they were completely whitewashed and one of the most frustrating things about the representation of Muslim women whether it's in books or in media or in news it's that there's this you know specific stereotypes on Muslim women being submissive or oppressed and the premise of the book and what I really wanted to challenge was that there was this idea that there was this one type of way to be a Muslim woman and even as a Muslim woman putting this book together I was challenged on what it is to be a Muslim woman. The one thing that I say to people is that it's a collection you don't have to like everything in it and that's people who are Muslims and aren't. This isn't a book for Muslims, it's, you know, they can read it and, and people outside as well, the community can read it. And I think that the one thing that I, I say about the book is that it honestly does offer, even though it's a small snapshot, offer quite a broad look at an appreciation for the diversity and the depth within the community of Muslim women and something that I don't feel like is done in the way that the book, if I do say so myself, does quite well. <laughs> do say it own it. (laughs) Brilliant. Thanks so much, Mariam. Thank you. Becoming by Michelle Obama was Mariam's pick of the week. Michelle says when she finished writing the book, she was a little frightened to share it, but I'm so glad she did. It's well worth checking out. You can find it on Audible now. And hoping to equally impress us with their pick is Frances Earlham. Hello, Frances. Hi, Emeril. Can you tell us about the book you've chosen for us today? Yeah, so I've chosen The Authenticity Project, which was written by Claire Pooley. This is quite an unusual book in that it's from many people's perspectives. It starts with Julian, who's flamboyant. He's an artist. He's an elderly gentleman. And he decides to start what he calls The Authenticity Project, for writing in a little notebook about how he feels and who he thinks he is and leaving it in a cafe for the next person to find. And so the story flows from there as each person puts in their perspective into this book and passes it on. Great. What exactly is it that drew you into this book or what attracted you to the story? What I kind of liked about it was I wanted a light book to read. I've been reading a lot of non-fiction. Non-fiction is probably more so what I listen to and what I read. And so I wanted a book that was lighthearted. Yeah. Did it deliver? It did. And I think what I really liked about this book is that you can listen to it on two different levels. So there's a story that flows through it and it's nice and it's warming. And there are lots of themes within that story that superficially just appeal to me I love community I love the thought of knowing who your neighbours are and being able to speak to them but also there are some deeper themes which kind of made me think afterwards and I do like that I like a story that makes you think about 
what it's trying to say. Mm. And afterwards, I just kind of get this feeling that, like, I want to play a bigger part in my community. And I would like to have friends like these who are, uh, you know, stones throw away. Perhaps not go through through all the drama that they're going through. And there is drama (laughs) and there's difficulties. And uh, each character faces a different issue or multiple issues. But on the face of it, it's just a heartwarming story. How did Claire pull together the story? Like, how did she build it up, especially if we're looking at so many different people's perspectives? Like, how did she go about doing that? Well, I think having this exercise book where people are writing down their thoughts and it starts with Julian leaving the book in Monica's cafe and Monica picking it up and reluctantly at first writing in it how she feels, but then she really bears all and tells us what she she feels deep down, which is that she really wants to have a relationship and, and have a baby and, and start a family. And mm. then it moves on that she leaves the book at a wine bar and a neighbour picks it up and he leaves his story. And so it goes on. Yeah, let's hear a clip. As Monica danced, she realised that the knot of anxiety that she usually carried around with her was no longer there. She wasn't, for this moment at least, worried about what next, what if, where is this going? Or her most recent worry, who on earth is reading that stupid book I wrote in? The only thing that mattered was the beat of the music and the feeling of being held in Riley's arms. A bus went past, lighting up the pavement outside for a moment, and there, right in front of her window, stood a young woman, holding the most gorgeous, plump baby like a modern Madonna and child. The baby had his, her, mother's hair wrapped in his fist, as if he wanted to be sure that she'd never let him go. For a second, her eyes met those of the young mother, who seemed to say, Look at your life, so frivolous and empty. This is what really matters, what I have. What is it that you like about this clip? In this clip, Monica has relaxed and she's enjoying herself, yet at that point she sees Alice and it's, no, actually, I don't want to relax, I want to have a baby and I want to be that mother. Yet in the next chapter, we see it from Alice's perspective. She's the young mother who's looking in at Monica and wishing that she was the one who was carefree and dancing with a gorgeous guy Um, And it's interesting then to see how we see each other, that we only see Mm. from our perspective. We don't really see what people are really feeling, but also we don't see how others see us, which I thought was really nice by the author. Is there anything that you'd change about the book? The narration grates on me a little bit. The accent of the narrator is quite well to do and she does overpronounce things, which grated on me a little bit, but particularly when she tried different accents and in particular Riley's accent. <laughs> trying, yeah, trying to do an Australian... I mean, I wouldn't try to do an Australian accent and that doesn't work out so well, I don't think. But I got past that because I like the, the story. And was there anything in the book that just made you stop what you were doing and just dive straight in and listen and not want to pause? I wanted to know what happened next. I mean, I don't think it's um, unpredictable. I think you kind of get an idea of where the story's going, but I loved the characters so much that I wanted to keep listening and hearing what they thought about what was going to happen next. Brilliant. 
Thanks, Francis. Thank you. Now, no spoilers, but there's a twist at the end of this book that even the author Claire said she didn't see coming. It was only as she wrote the story that the ending revealed itself to her. If that's piqued your interest, you can find the Authenticity Project on Audible. Tell us what you've listened to by leaving us a review on your favorite podcast player. Now back to the show. And next, it's time to hear from another author in their Audible session. This week, I've picked Tim Gregory's. Tim is a meteorite research scientist and speaker, which is a pretty cool job. He's written a book on that very subject called Meteorite, which explores the stories that every rock has to tell. He joined Holly Newson to talk about the book, about the way science and geography collide, and why he loves meteorites so much. Is there anything that they can also tell us about the future? Absolutely. You know, while meteorites are gateways into the past, the places from where meteorites come which are asteroids, they have a huge part to play in the future of our species. Because we live in a solar system on a planet, and that solar system is full of rocky debris, including the asteroids and the comets. And occasionally, those planetary bodies collide with our own. And when that happens, I mean, as, as the dinosaurs found out 64 million years ago, you can get a mass extinction. These explosions are absolutely enormous that occur when rocky bodies slam into the Earth. And that is in our future. That lies in our future. And so the meteorites tell us about our past and the bodies from where they come tell us about our future. And they will inform our future, mm. not just in terms of space exploration, but, but things like mitigating asteroid collisions. How on earth are we going to do that? We don't have the technology to do that yet. How likely is it? You know, how far ahead should we be planning for these things? Will we be able to do it at all? These are all questions that we're going to have to confront quite seriously in the medium to long term. And so that's another dimension to these stones. They're, they're not just key to the past, they're key to the future as well. Gosh, that's so terrifying to think about. I absolutely adored this Audible session. Tim is just so passionate about rocks, meteorites, space, everything. And he's just so engaging. You will absolutely, absolutely love this episode. If you want to find out more about our solar system's earliest days or clues to the Earth's future survival, you can download Meteorite from Audible, along with the rest of Tim's fascinating Audible session. But before that, it's time to take a trip to our listeners' corner. We've heard from lots of different people in this episode about their favourite books and podcasts, but now it's time to hear from you. Each week, we ask you to join in and let us know what you've been really enjoying. This week, our review comes from Ross for a fantasy novel. He said, The book I want to recommend is The Last Sun by Katie Edwards, narrated by Josh Hurley. It's an urban fantasy novel that provides epicness from start to finish. The characters are really brought to life by the excellent narration to the point of getting strange looks in public when walking and laughing to myself. The story is excellently written and it takes you through an emotional roller coaster that leaves you wanting more. I adored the characters. 10 out of 10 would highly recommend. Thanks, Ross. 10 out of 10. Wow. Remember, this is your chance to get your favourite audio recommended on You Heard It Here First. Send us a voice note or an email to yhihf at audible.co.uk. That's the first letters of You Heard It Here First, and you could be in with a chance of winning two Audible credits. Ooh, generous. But as always, remember to keep your review spoiler-free. 
That's all for this week's You Heard It Here First. Time to get listening to some excellent new audio or maybe a classic we've bigged up today. Here they are again. Jim Patrol on the Purple Line by Deepa Anapara. From the Yoast House, the Alan Partridge podcast. Evil Has a Name, narrated by Paul Holes and Jim Clementi. Becoming by Michelle Obama. Chosen by Mariam Khan. It's Not About the Burqa, edited by Mariam Khan. The Authenticity Project by Claire Pooley. Tim Gregory's Audible Session. And our listener's corner was The Last Son by K.D. Edwards. You've been listening to You Heard It Here First, an Audible original produced by Content is Queen. Presented by me, Imriel Morgan, additional voices by Lazara Morgan, and featuring Mariam Khan and Francis Erlem. It was produced by Ellie Clifford. Original music was by Seth Bradford. For Audible, the executive producer was Holly Newson. The production executive was Hayley Nathan. And the commissioning editor was Kent DePinto. Pinto.